Welcome to Counting Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. Uh, I need like a non-username. Poo? Mm. And I'm the Machine. What was your first username of anything? Do you remember? One of the main ones I used to use is lethargic. <laughs> That's true, actually. Yeah. Not surprising. Is it? No, I'm not surprised that that fits you to a mm-hmm. T. Mine was Mad Dog Fifty Three. So you can go to onto old forums, and that was what my you're you were a Mad Dog. Mm-hmm. I, I won't even get into why that was my nickname for a while. Anyways, <laughs> this is a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. That year just so happens to be 1982. This season, the machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the movie Tron. Ooh. The computer. An extension of the human intellect. The NCOM 511. Center of the most calculating intelligence on Earth. Programmed by Master Control to survive by all means. Soon, ultimate tool will become the ultimate enemy. I still do not understand why you want to break into the system. Because, man! Big thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions help us continue this show since, you know, the machine doesn't help us pay for these movies. Plus, each month we do a bonus episode over there. So when Dave eventually watches the movie we're supposed to be watching this month, we will do the bonus episode over there. I'm intentionally delaying it. Before we get into talking about this week's film, Dave, you know, the fans write in. They are so invested in our deep and rich fiction <laughs> that we perpetuate each uh-huh, and every uh-huh. week here on the show. Uh-huh. We kind of noticed here last week that they, things seem to be shifting and changing within this cabin that we are hiding out in here. And I think I've kind of figured it out. We're in a time machine again. Mm. Mm. Yes. We cannot legally call it a TARDIS, but think of it like that, uh-huh. is then that this can be a thing that can- Was move. that a Doctor Who reference? It is, I yes. just read an article about Doctor Who. And the people are freaking out. Uh-huh. Because David Tennant, sorry, spoiler alert, is coming back as the doctor, apparently. I don't even know what that is. So, good. Yeah, you don't know any of the words that I just used no. in that sentence. I've never understood why people watch that show. Dave, because you don't understand people having joy in their life. Is he in like in a phone booth? Why is a phone booth important? It's actually not a phone booth. It's a police booth. Something even older <laughs> that you don't even know what it is. It has been going on since the 50s, Dave. Yeah, so I that's mean, my it's- point. That's not a good thing. That's not something in its favor. I don't know. Sesame Street's going on since the 60s. Uh, Have you watched Sesame good. Street lately? It's, it's, no, yeah. I'm not actually. I'm assuming it's just Elmo all the time. Anyways, we're in a time machine is what I'm trying to say. I thought we were is... in a time machine the entire time. What do you mean? Like, isn't that the premise of the show? That we keep going to different times in a machine? Yeah, the, the machine has done that for us, but we've never been like inside of the time oh, machine. Oh, the machine was a time machine? Yeah, I mean, it's, we, we think so. Like we, again, our deep and rich fiction hasn't been completely cogent We just on don't this. know yet. It's a mystery. It's, it's a it's mystery what makes it so engaging. that we're trying to unfurl through each successive episode. Do we go into the machine? Is there like an opening? It's like Quantum Leap. It's like, do we know how we lapped? We don't really know Blue how light. we lapped, but we're there. Does it look like the lithium crystal? I haven't watched Quantum Leap in like two, two decades. Is it that like uh-huh. beaming thing? If by beaming thing you mean the radiant charisma of Scott Bakula, 
then yes. We'll, we'll figure out what's going on there. But we have a big movie we're talking about here this week. You know, we've been kind of leading up to this idea that 1982 is usually described as like the year of the genre film. Like it has so many different science fiction, horror, uh, fantasy classics, or people that have deep Attachments to a lot of the films that came out in the year 1982. I would say Tron being one of the cult classics from the year. But I would like to know what your history is with the movie. Sure, I have seen it. How many times have you seen it? Actually, only like once or twice. I remember always feeling a bit lukewarm on it. Mostly because it debuted slightly before my time, of course. I wasn't four years old. You were alive. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah. I, I wasn't watching this as a four-year-old in a cinema. No. Uh, it didn't have a large presence in like rental anything, actually. It was kind of invisible for a long time. The idea of Tron was always cool because there were figurines for it and some of the video game connections mm -hmm. still existed, but I, I'm pretty sure I only watched this movie probably in my teens or 20s and it was already a little underwhelming. I, I just remember it being neat and not thinking about it until the sequel came out. And when Tron, is it Legacy, the sequel? Legacy, When yeah. that came out, I was a big fanboy over it. I thought it got a little uh, unfairly undersold when it debuted. It, it apparently did make a lot of money, but critically it was kind of- Mixed. Yeah, yeah, not well received, but I enjoyed it. I think I was also like a big Olivia Wilde fan at the time and what's his name? Garrett. Garrett Headland. Yeah, he hadn't disappeared yet. <laughs> yeah. There is this weird, there's very weird time period. I remember it very clearly late 2000s early 2010s where a bunch i hate to say it but it was a bunch of white guys that were trying to mm. be like the next big thing and none of them really no. hit <laughs> even though they were in big franchises like there was garrett headland there was sam worthington and avatar yes. uh charlie hoonan he's still Hunnam, trying to come back right? yeah and all of them i think this is always the problem with all of these people is that hey you're really good as a supporting character but to lead a movie i don't know if you have what it takes because if you take honestly even if you take garrett headland and literally put him up against jeff bridges who may be <laughs> one of the most charismatic people it's like it's night and day as far as like just that level of charisma that's someone who's much more academic than us should do some kind of topical analysis of whether the types of movies we watch too plays a role in that like when we have this very single lead driven films we still get the marvel superheroes and then if you watch mm -hmm. let's say uh what's captain america chris evans chris, uh, chris evans like just before he became Ca captain america he had he was in danger of going that way too he made a lot of very interesting and weird movies but once he's captain america and now the inverse is a problem like he wasn't particularly good in that netflix film gray man but as soon as he mm. comes on as a bad guy you can't take him seriously anymore <laughs> Oh, because he's Captain America, so he grew a mustache and he's trying to be evil. And it's it's become so awkward because, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. He'll always be famous. Always be famous. He's a good actor. I mean, it's, a, it's the same thing with uh, Robert Downey Jr., which is like he's now just plays Tony Stark and everything that he does. But he was always like that, wasn't he? Well, I wouldn't say so. I actually think he tried to do different things in his early, early oh, career. Oh, pre-Coke. Yeah. Well, actually, while he was on yeah, Coke. Right, yeah, right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> Mid-Coke. Yeah. The fullness of time is going to be the, yes, the of judge of this. But there's a bunch of younger actors, I will say nowadays, they're trying to take over that mantle. Because there's always like this thing, it's like, 
who are the movie stars nowadays and the only thing people can say are the people that are over 50 years old who've had like long careers it doesn't seem that anyone has been able to grab a hold and be like i'm younger and i can actually carry a movie marvel people honestly Well, but outside of marvel can they actually carry a movie the only person who has is tom holland he actually has been able to use uncharted in other films and do people even know make money yeah did people watch Uncharted? Well, it made a lot of money. Oh, yes. did it? I'm just saying he's kind of the only one who's been able to do that because, to your point, Chris Evans, when he goes off to do his own projects, yeah, he's done some directing yeah. and writing. It's not like those are making hundreds of millions of Actually, dollars. Actually, he was good in Knives Out and that made good money. Yeah. All I'm trying to say is, is that unlike the Garrett Headlands mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Sam Worthingtons who were kind of said, hey, these are the people who are going to be like the next big thing. And then they kind of fizzled out. Will Tom Holland be able to probably not stand the test of time? We don't know yet. The other person is, of course, uh, everybody's favorite weird vampire looking guy, which is uh, Timothy Chalamet. He has had the, I think, the smarts to not try and jump into the blockbuster game. He's, Chris, he's Kevin Baconing it. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, well, he'll occasionally flirt with, like, Dune is his biggest, yeah, yeah. like, franchise thing. But then he goes off and does his weird indie stuff yeah. <laughs> and then comes back if he wants to. Um, and has been kind of anti-superhero and stepping into that whole genre. Yeah. At least for a male lead. I mean, you know what the in-between became, surprisingly, was uh, Ryan Reynolds and Ryan Gosling. And Ryan Gosling, yeah. I don't know why he's popular, but I'll watch him in a movie. I, I thought he was obnoxious in Breaker High. And when I rewatch films of his, like I'm rewatched Drive, that's probably my favorite movie with him in it. Is he a good actor? I don't know. Talk about lethargic. <laughs> and uh, Ryan Reynolds, although Ryan Reynolds is starting to wear thin because he's just Ryan well, Reynolds. Well, yeah, Ryan Reynolds is interesting because he's very much a um, a personality driven star. Isn't like that what you're talking about though? Like. Is Jeff Bridges, well, Jeff Bridges might be an exception, but you know, all the big Hollywood names, are they different in the films they're in? Or are they always themselves? No, true enough. I mean, he, he has a certain persona that he does over and over again. I only bring that up but being, that's what some people will point to as being like, this is why I don't like Ryan uh, Reynolds. Like one dimensional. <laughs> is that he only, yeah. only plays the same thing over and over? And like, no, that's kind of what stars do like i would even argue as much as i love him like denzel washington has kind of two modes yeah Yeah. (laughs) and he does those two things over and over again he's great at it and he's he's a phenomenal actor but it's not like he has like this amazing range that he does in every film he's just super intense interestingly i just watched collateral and i feel like Mm -hmm. like tom cruise is very underrated as an actor i think just because he's so weird and uh well he is i mean the guy makes a lot of money but he makes a lot of money. But Tom Cruise is the interesting thing, too. I don't know why it happened, when it happened. And this actually does tie into Tron because the director of Tron Legacy went on to make the biggest movie that came out this past year, which is Top Gun Maverick. Oh, that's the same guy? Same guy. And he did um, Oblivion with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise picked him specifically because he liked Tron. And he said, you have to direct my next movie. But I feel like Oblivion is also an underrated movie. My, my point being is that there was this period in the mid-90s to about the early 2000s we actually talked about this, I think, in our Eyes Wide Shut episode. But from that mid-90s to early 2000s, Tom Cruise was like, I want to work with interesting directors. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to do all these things. And then basically since like the second Mission Impossible movie, he's been Tom Cruise in every single movie he's done. Even if he's done different franchises, he's just been Tom Cruise. He's just having fun. Blowing himself up. 
So I don't know. I don't know why that turn happened. I guess it's because he makes more money that way. Well, maybe he's just, I think he just has fun. I mean, when you look at the movies he makes, his midlife crisis is, is there a way that I can die on set? I think you two should do the same thing. I think that's what he enjoys now is that adrenaline. I don't think he's, I don't think he's interested in cinema as some nerds call it, which is fine. Yeah, like is Brad Pitt a good actor or is he just Brad no. Pitt? Right? He's Brad Pitt. It's fascinating. I think some people use that to be like, this is a bad actor. I've even seen that argument be made. Like, they're a bad actor because they only do this one thing. And I say, it's like, look at the history of Hollywood. Because most of the biggest stars basically become famous because they can do one thing. But they do it really, really well. And they have that innate charisma that makes it work. Will Smith is the same thing. Cary Grant, if you go back in time. Jimmy Stewart. Like, they all... Catherine Hepburn basically did the same thing in every movie. Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson basically does the same thing in every movie. So basically the problem was in that mid-2000s, none of these guys actually had any charisma. Actually, that's true. If you think about like just looking at Garrett Hedlund Mm -hmm. or even like Jared Leto or all those guys that are around that same age, though even the ones that make it, they're just so weird. It was just a weird post-emo time where they didn't have that wholesome thing where you're like, yeah, you know, even Brad Pitt in Fight Club, that's probably one of the dirtiest things that he's done. Right. And you're like, he's, he's Brad Pitt so charming. It's not just the hip bones and the abs. There's something about him, <laughs> you know, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, it's partly the hip bones, but um, to get back to Tron, which is what we're supposed to be talking about <laughs> here today, you watched it once or twice. Yeah. You were kind of medium Luke on it, warm. really enjoyed the sequel. Mm-hmm. Is that what I'm yes. hearing? I am like you, never watched this when I was growing up. I will tell you my first introduction to Tron. Halloween party. On The Simpsons. Uh, Of course. There was a Halloween episode, a somewhat famous Halloween episode. That's kind of right. Yeah. When Homer goes through this little portal and ends up in a 3D world. So you see a 3D animated Homer Simpson and he eventually ends up in the real world. Like he's walking around with real people. Which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was an early thing that Pixar did. I'm pretty sure Pixar was helped to do that 3D rendering stuff but anyways there is a joke that they do when he goes through the portal he can still talk to the people on the other side they're like what does it look like or what's going on in there he's like uh has anyone seen that movie tron and then it's like no 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 yes oh no 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 i have not seen that movie so it's basically this whole joke that no one has ever seen this movie and since that time i was like oh what's this what is this movie tron i want to know this sounds like an interesting name I do think I played the arcade light cycle game at least once. So I had like a passing knowledge of some of the iconography from it. I never sat down and watched it. Like you, it was in my early to mid 20s when I watched it for the first time. It was a rental from Blockbuster. I do remember that. Me and my friend got it and we watched it one night because he had not seen it either. And I think I was wholly unprepared for exactly what Tron was Mm. uh, because it is kind of a weird movie. There's really no movie that looks like it. Even the sequel doesn't really look what the original Tron looks like. There is a reason. Yeah, There is a reason. Multiple reasons why that is. It's just a weird little artifact from the early 80s. And so I think it was compelling. But like you, it's it's not like I'm emotionally (laughs) invested in anything that happens in this movie. It is very much a technological thing Mm. i guess to to be either impressed by or be repulsed by and laugh at the dialogue that mostly doesn't make any sense but you know i don't know what you mean their best yeah and then i rewatched it i know before the sequel came out and i think i've watched it again since then anyways i'm saying i've seen it about two or three times probably in my life i don't think i even watched it before the sequel came out because i don't think it was broadly available i think that was just when blockbusters had died and streaming didn't have that many licenses i'm not even sure if i had netflix before we moved to Calgary. 
Um, but I'm interested to jump back into it here and kind of disseminate, I guess, what our feelings are on Tron. Download um, it. I guess just briefly, it. just briefly, we have discussed Jeff Bridges here in the past. He was a voice, of course, in The Last Unicorn. We saw him in The Last Picture Show last season. Lots of last. But anything thing. else you want to say about Jeff Bridges in particular? We've seen his dad yep. this year, too. Yeah, Lloyd Bridges. We need a Bo Bridges movie, right? Yeah, we do. Jeff Bridges he here. Is, he oozes charisma, even if you don't like the movie he's in. He's just sure. pretty magnetic. I guess kind of like the Tom Cruise thing. I do feel in a way that after he does um, Lebowski, the big Lebowski, uh, he's kind of just leaned into doing that <laughs> a lot. At least that mannerism, that that no, more it's like in a, here too. Draw. He's just uh, that's his thing, though. Like I'm just too cool. Like we saw it in Last Picture Show. I thought he was a delinquent. Mm -hmm. Where we may see it in this film because I've never met a programmer mm -hmm. that just likes to sweat an arcade and then go out on a jaunt into a computer. Mm -hmm. uh, I think his big turn was uh, interestingly enough Iron Man. I mean, he's so good as mm -hmm. Obadiah, whatever. Stain or something. Um, and I think, that's yeah. that that's kind of where I think he gets a lot more of that intense role. Although, I mean, I don't know. Isn't all, yeah, always is Jeff Bridges. He's got a lot. He made his filmography's huge. He's made a lot of movies. It so. is. It's very long, very varied. Yeah. Has done a bunch of different things. Let's jump into it. We are gonna go thank some sponsors, and then when we return, we're gonna be talking a little bit more about the movie Tron. I think it's really weird that you've been wearing that unitard for this entire episode, Dave. I find that offensive. I think, are we allowed to use that? Isn't it called a onesie now? I, I oh, mean, let's get right, with, right. Uh, it's not 1982. It's not 1982. I'm sorry. I like that I kept one shoulder out and then put the shoulder pad directly on top of it. Because I think that just yeah. makes a statement about how uh, cool I am. Andre the Giant did it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Only Jeff Bridges could kind of pull it off. I mean, it's like a weird tunic. I do think that we can blame Tron, though, for the ultimate frisbee craze of the Fucking 90s. ultimate. It's still a craze. It's still a craze. There's leagues of it. I mean, it's not easy. And uh, some of the people I knew that, like, growing up that played it competitively were super, super fit. But if my dog can do it, I'm pretty sure I could do it's it. It's frisbee. Can't actually call it frisbee because that's a copyrighted term. Oh, so it's ultimate disc. Disc? Disc. Yeah, ultimate disc. Disc. So Tron was ahead of this his time. Golf yeah. is what they sometimes will call it. Yeah. Well, I should let you know here then that I'm not stalling for time because I don't have my classic document up classic. in front of me. I just need to tell you from the bottom of my heart at this very <laughs> so time at this podcast that Kyla Neighbors the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. You know, I get to talk to you about Alberta Blue Cross here this week. Alberta Blue Cross understands that running a small business is tough. And they understand that business owners in Alberta are busy. Yes. So let Alberta Blue Cross give you peace of mind with a group benefits plan. Listen to this, Dave. They offer health. They offer dental. Oh my God. They offer life. And disability coverage for your employees. Wow. Alberta Blue Cross group benefits plans are easy to manage anywhere, anytime, and on any device, making it easy for you and your employees to access. So to learn more and explore your options, head on over to ab.bluecross.ca. Great. Cal, with Pot Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters this episode, once again, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a pod power shout out to 
High-level hip-hop. Nope. Run until... No- uh, nope. That's over. 2021. Yeah, I was <laughs> almost two years wow. ago. Wow. Wow. Let's go with uh, overdue fines. How about low-level hip-hop? <laughs> Let's go to the streets again. Overdue Finds is an Edmonton Public Library podcast. Bryce Crittenden and Caroline Land host conversations about books, movies, music, pop culture, and other interesting news about Edmonton. You should get them to guest on this show. It's a great way to learn more about what's happening at EPL and about- Dave does not have the internet, apparently, so he can't possibly reach out to them himself. (laughs) Well, your name does come first on the marquee, so I'm leaving that to you. And about how you can use your library card to access all of EPL's in-person and online services. To listen and find out more about Overdue Fines, head over to epl.ca slash podcast. Dave and Kyle versus Machine sounds stupid. It does actually sound stupid. So, Dave, we have sat down and we have rewatched Tron. We've seen this multiple times between the both of us, but uh, let's do a little bit of a scenario here first. Classic. Let's say that we somehow had weaseled our way back to the arcade oh, that right. we had started here That's at right. the beginning of the season. It's almost like we had prepared for this moment, but then we left it and now we've got to <laughs> pretend to go back, right? The arcade. But, well, we're not actually going back. We're pretending we go back. And as we enter the front doors, a little whippersnapper of a young boy comes running up to us and he only has a bunch of quarters in his hands and a VHS copy of Tron from 1982. That's a lot of weight. How old is he? He's pretty strong. I'd break his neck. And he's like, please, sir, can you give me more quarters? And also, what is the plot to Tron? I would say, uh, get a job, you fucking bum. Why are you begging people for quarters? The plot for Tron. Hmm. A genius programmer must go into the computer to stop a malevolent malevolent oh jesus virus no computer program from taking over the world computer program yeah from taking over the world yeah it's you know very religious well i mean yes i guess is the quick answer i don't know why it's it's interesting (laughs) having read up the history of this film uh mostly because the way that they talk about computers the way that they reference programs and circuits is not really how computers work. it's not how computers work at all no we'll get into that here though so what were your impressions of tron it was okay i think i stand by my initial assessment i think there are definitely interesting things. Uh, so the first disclaimer is, I think you did too. I watched this on Disney Plus and this remaster is insane. You think they shot it today. It's kind of weird when you turn it on because I was actually like taken aback a bit because it's like a Blu-ray quality image from a movie from 1982. So just visually it becomes compelling. Uh, so even the cheesy three, well, what we would consider cheesy 3D, revolutionary 3D generated CGI actually looks kind of clean. So it's, you know, it's fine. I think the biggest problem with this in the opening is there's a big barrier to entry because you have, I, I had no idea what's going on. And uh, the way they spoke about computers and this MCP program, the master control program didn't make any sense. It's like talking, interacting with people like an AI. It was complex. And then I started thinking if it's 1982 and the computer boom is just happening, none of this makes sense. Even for someone who doesn't know how computers work, it's playing on 50s science fiction paranoia so it's kind of odd see i i, I kept wondering if is that a plus or a minus yeah. because it's not it was a minus for my son say that emerson did not want to watch it at the beginning yeah that's what i mean because as, as a modern audience whether you think you know computers or not you do pick up it's like 
I don't think what they're saying makes any no. sense. But in 1982, I'm wondering, it's like, oh, this is like the Star Trek. They're saying something fancy, but it doesn't really matter what they're saying. It's just that we know they need to do this and that. I think if that were the case, this movie would have been more popular than it was. Anyways, uh, the setup's a bit tropey, I guess. It's very convoluted to set up later payoffs. So, like, why is there a laser... <laughs> that teleports objects into a computer at a video game company. Like the whole thing is, the conceit of it is conceited. Can I say though, because I rewatched the sequel. Yes. To this. I, I didn't re- get to. Did you rewatch it at all? No, I asked okay. Emerson and he was bored. What's the same thing between both the 1982 film and the 2010, I think, uh, mm-hmm. sequel. 12. Both of them, I think, have a fundamental misunderstanding of technology and how things work because they kind of reference the internet in the 2010 version and AI and VR and stuff, but none of it is like, that's not, that's, that's also not how that works. And it has this extra layer of showing like, coding happening i'm like well that's not how coding works either yeah. so at least that's uh symbolically the same between the two and uh, last thing i will just say about the sequel somehow this video game company from the early 80s now makes operating systems <laughs> and it's the operating system that they're really seeing i'm like what what <laughs> what how did, how did this get from there to here anyways Little nitpicks. Those are just nitpicks. Yeah, that's the thing. I think we both agree that we shouldn't take these things too literally. The other thing is neither of us are computer programmers, so we don't really get the authority to talk about what a computer... I I own a computer, Dave. (laughs) We own Macs. So we're like even one tier below owning a computer. (laughs) When I built a PC in my youth... So I bought a Mac. I was like, I don't want Mm -hmm. any more to deal with having to plug shit in and program stuff and Mm -hmm. fucking worry about how these things interact and drivers and virus. I just want to press a power button and let the computer Mm -hmm. do all the work. You're making me so horny right now. Anyways, uh, once they get into the virtual realm, I think it picks up, you know, it's pretty Mm -hmm. fun. It's, uh, it becomes a fantasy movie, which I appreciate. Um, But as soon as it becomes religious and they start talking about like the Inquisition, that's when you start seeing the plot get really messy because nothing really kind of comes together. I, I don't, I don't know what it was specifically, but maybe it's when they break out and the tanks are coming after them and all of a sudden it becomes this Jesus story and, you know, they're talking about worshipping users and whether there's a God or not and the language they start talking about with the, the computers. Like, it just got hard to watch. And then when Jeff Bridges is able to manipulate reality, kind of like this Matrix thing, I think it just got a little sloppy. Um, the resolution didn't make any sense at the end. I, I just, it kind of lost me towards the end of the film. So it's not terrible. It, it actually still has a lot of redeeming nuance and quirkiness that you could, like my son enjoyed the second half of it as an eight-year-old. So uh, mm-hmm. we had fun watching it, but he kept, he had a couple of groans and asking me why this would happen. I didn't have a good answer. I was like, I don't know. It's a movie. <laughs> Why is there something with a solar, what do you call them? Solar sail inside a computer that travels on a beam of light. It doesn't make any sense, you know? Mm -hmm. If you're going to go into the thing, just become electricity. Just maybe you should be able to travel on it. Well, yeah, I think what you're, I think what you're grabbing at is I think the metaphor gets lost partway through this movie as, as far as they're being inside the machine. I, I, I don't know enough to know if this was like the first movie that was like people being sucked into a machine and they had mm. to like escape. But that being said, it's like what we were kind of dancing around here is that for as much as this seems to be so like forward thinking and 
you know, utilizing this new technology and being the first thing that really was combining CG animation and, and live action together on the same image. It doesn't really know anything about technology and it kind of throws you. And again, that's what I mean. Like in 1982, most people are probably not going to pick up on that. But for anyone who has even a passing knowledge of like, well, that's like, that's not really what a CPU does. And this is, that's not really what this thing does. Like I get that they're anthropomorphizing it and I actually do enjoy that, that element of like bits and bytes being actually like humanoids and a program having sentience and being able to communicate with people. I, I'm fine for that ride and the, the bending of like quote unquote truth, but the fundamental things that they are doing is like, that's not, that's not what the, <laughs> those things do. And also, I mean, I don't really care about his journey. I mean, obviously I don't want him to die necessarily. Like, sure. I want you to get back and get back at this evil corporation for stealing your ideas. But ultimately it's like, this is a fun little fantasy for for a bit, and then we go back into the real world, and all is good, I suppose, because he has a, a dot matrix printout <laughs> of. See, this proves yeah, that, that I man when he made these videos when games, he's teleported yes. back, and that stupid printer turns on. I'm like, that's like a word document. So he, you could have just typed the stupid thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it does show up on the screen later, so I guess it's just proof mm -hmm. that it's on the main frame. Mm -hmm. But you know, what's even worse than that is the cutaway from the bad guy collapsing in his chair because he's mm -hmm. now a fraud to Jeff Bridges appearing on a rooftop in a fucking helicopter, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> capitalism, right? Like he fought against the man, but now he's super rich, and we win. We all win. But it's the artistic integrity, Dave. <laughs> The artistic integrity of zombie blasters. I can't remember what the game is now yeah. that he talks about. Space Paranoids, Matrix Blaster, Vice Squad, and Light Cycles. You know what's interesting? Emerson picked up on some of the uh, Easter eggs. Yeah, the Pac-Man that's in the yeah, background. Yeah, so right? they were in the whatever that first scene is at the background. And mm -hmm. he just jumps up. He's like, it's Pac-Man. I'm like, how the fuck did you see that? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly saw that the very first time I watched it too. But I know that you, Dave, only look dead center of the screen and are never looking at the edges. So, of course, you wouldn't pick up on I'm it. I'm hardly looking at the screen. Yeah, I have a glazed look on my face and uh, just angry. I, I do want to dig in though because, I mean, I guess to put it plainly, the, the biggest thing, because it was such early technology and it was hard to make all of this come together, is that it's shot in black and white. Mm -hmm. Like the, the movie is shot in black and white. And then not just black and white. It's like if you read the Wikipedia, I was thinking about trying to sum this up, but it's impossible. It's like 16 exposures. Like the process is insane. Yes. It's not just black and white. It's like they're trying to use negatives, invert it, overlay it on things. The fascinating thing is that initially what they had wanted to do instead of it just being like these like black backgrounds that kind of go off oh, of right. shadows, they wanted to do the THX thing and have it just be completely white, white in the background. Yeah. But they couldn't expose it properly and it just wasn't working. So mm -hmm. they decided to go with the black backgrounds, which does help hide some of the animation seams, which is probably for, for the better as well. And then it's not just CG animation which is only a small percentage. Honestly, people think that there's more CG in this than there really is. Because it's a lot of rotoscoping animation and just compositing of just putting things, <laughs> filming a bunch of scenes and then compositing them together. So there was, it's still a technological feat, yes. but it's also not like what we get nowadays, which is this is three quarters of just a CG image that we're seeing. There it's, I think it's 20 minutes total footage that is actually CG animation. Well, of a 90 minute film that only goes yeah. to the computer realm 
technically for like the second half mm-hmm. of the film anyways. And I truly I do mean, I don't think there's any other movie that quite looks like no. this original Tron, not even the sequel. I wish they spent more time in the real world. I want there to be more time to really understand who this person is and their, and their journey because I think it should have been one once or the you other. get into fantasy land, it's, it's pure fantasy at that point. Yeah, I've, you know, when you were talking about how this is not, what, what did you say? It was kind of like not particularly new. I mean, this is kind of like rehashing any old fantasy or science fiction trope where they go to another world. We're just overlaying a computer on top mm-hmm. of, let's say, Journey to Center of the Earth or something like that. Where right. You go and walk around dinosaurs, King Kong even. But I feel like they should have just committed to one or the other. I feel like if we had spent more time learning who Jeff Bridges' character and this underwritten woman, like I don't know why she's in this film, or even Tron's programmer, for a film to be called Tron... And then Tron and his program to be kind of like the weakest characters of like of the rebellion. It's very weird. This is kind of like the the Clute problem in, in a way. Like obviously it's a much cooler name if you name it Tron. Yeah. Than Clue, I guess, which is Tron is like I, like, I understand how he's important in the story because he's somewhat of like the chosen one and all this other stuff, but it doesn't really factor in to be all that important. He throws a frisbee like, at really, the Because yeah. it's, it's Flynn's it's Flynn's story. Yes. Like that, that's whose story this is. He can't call a movie Flynn or no. do they even refer to him as Clue in it? Because he's credited as Clue in the letterbox. I thought they just made that name up for the for the sequel. But if they had started the whole movie and, and they kind of allude to it, of course, they have scenes from the computer verse. I think that's what makes the tone so weird. We start off in the fantasy world. I think we should have just stayed there, frankly, for me. I think the inverse. I think we should have just been in the computer the whole time and maybe allude to the user manipulating mm. it, almost like playing a game. So, you would want it to be more Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Wreck-It Ralph is definitely inspired by this movie, but I enjoyed Wreck-It Ralph and I like the fact that we see the kids playing the video games for that 15 minutes instead of the other way around. If I were to agree with you, yeah, if we had gone the other way and just lived in the human world and then we see these glimpses of what these computers are doing as anthropomorphized programs uh, at critical plot junctures, if you will, I think that would have worked too. Because we might have been able to understand who these people were as human beings. But the way it's set up, we ca- maybe the problem is we kind of don't learn either way. We don't know much about the computer programs. We don't know why a master control program is so inherently evil. We also don't really learn or care too much about Flynn. Well, I mean, I guess the, like the master control program, I mean, I think they do allude to this enough about it's not programs inherently that are evil. It's the people who make the programs that are evil. Like they kind of... Well, who made MCP? Was it the bad programmer? Yeah, it's the owner guy. Basically, the whole metaphor is that he's put on this system to make it look like he wrote the programs. And by them destroying the master control program, they get the printout that shows, actually, it was me the whole time. No, but they talk about... No, see, you know, that's that's not right. Because they talk about MCP is actually a chess program that Flynn made. And they used to play chess together. Oh, that's right. But that's the thing. They they added on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it would have worked better the way you talked about if this idiot who's a bad programmer created a bad program to that was designed mm-hmm. to hide information that absolutely works better but then they start referring to him as oh we were just a chess program remember you just play chess and i was like what how does a chess program design itself then to uh, mm-hmm. have artificial intelligence and then try to infiltrate the Kremlin and the Pentagon. Like, what, what did that have to do with anything? Well, I mean, well, Cold War well, stuff. It is but. kind of <laughs> fascinating. I mean, to stretch this metaphor, the, the sequel actually, I think, does a better job at this one aspect, really kind of grappling with the pros and cons of technology and especially people 
multiple people interfacing with the same technology. But I just think about our modern world specifically about how, I guess to put my politics on display, how I think Facebook has kind of ruined <laughs> the world in, in very many ways. I don't know why you have to apologize for that. I mean, it's actually a fact, right? They were in front of Congress. Uh, I don't know. We're going to get angry letters, Dave. Anyways, how did that start? Like really the, uh, the evolution of Facebook it wasn't specifically hot or not, but it was like a, a version of that. It's like, would you bang this college girl? Like, that's how Facebook started. And it gets molded into something else and then molded into something else and molded into something else. And then pretty soon uh, you have parents who think that there's, you know, Jews are running the world and that President Trump uh, actually won the election. I can tell now that uh, your parents don't listen to our podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> We should bring back hot or not. You know what's crazy about that too is, I mean, it's not just meta, it's all internet mediums, you know, like I open Apple News and I'm getting fed even articles from Reuters, but they're not back-checked mm -hmm. and they're all sensationalist headlines and that is in itself part of a propaganda war. And so it makes sense that alt-right or conspiracy theorists will point at any information as a biased confirmation that they're right about something or wrong or that everybody else is wrong about something. So maybe... Is it internet itself that's inherently bad? I think actually this movie sort of comes down on this and the sequel does. And it's my own opinion. The internet is both good and bad because it's filled with both good and bad people. It's just there for exploitation. But with any new technology, you could say the same thing about the printing press. Ultimately, the printing press, I think, was a good thing for humanity. But it also allowed people to, again, make up conspiracy theories and print their own stuff and hand it out and corrupt a whole swath of the population. But the printing press by itself is not evil. Yeah, maybe it's a time scale. And as farther we get, yeah, so like the printing, like looking at the printing press, what is that? Like the 16th century, the first yeah, one? Yeah, something like that. So if we pull back all the way, yeah, it will source propaganda. It will incite rebellion. It's also used as a tool to suppress people. But now that we're 400, uh, 500 years away from whatever it turns out to be, by and large, is it better because you and I are allowed to read books instead of only, you know, trust fund baby or whatever? The church telling you what you can read, right? Although we're going the other way now, right? That the church is telling you only what you're allowed to read and burning books again. Sure. So the internet's kind of in this cycle too. I, I think there's a naivety where especially computer focused people believe in an inherent goodness of data. And this movie does tackle the hundred percent. And I have to tell you, I was that way. I remember vividly in university as the internet was exploding. This was still kind of early days. Because I think it's 2002 is when more than 50% of people in North America had access to the internet. So I was you know, starting to use it before it crossed over that threshold. And I felt that promise. It's like, oh my gosh, like the democratization of data and information is going to be amazing. Like I can just look up information anywhere I want, not having like that that foresight to be like oh but this could be very much corrupted as soon as corporations get into into it it's the same thing with early youtube early youtube before google even bought it before you could monetize your channel before there was even a hope of like making money off of it i remember those early days and be like oh my gosh this is going to totally revolutionize and then you know that gets corrupted and awful things start to be propagated and, and shown and algorithms are only there so that you continue watching videos but what makes people more engaged propaganda so like it's it always kind of devolves i think a little bit from the intention and i don't know what the solution is to be honest with you i don't know what the solution There's is no solution i mean uh i so i have a friend who was explaining to me how he's been in crypto a long time and how mm -hmm. when nfts came out it's the principle of it is so 
beautiful, right? It's about attributing yeah, credit. The idea of it is interesting. Yeah, like uh, ownership and credit in a trackable and incorruptible way and creating a new economy in which you and I can build some intellectual property or physical property and not have it stolen from us in any way, shape or form. Is this when we announce the podcast is an NFT? <laughs> but as soon as um, we leverage capital growth. And so I have another friend who's so pro-communist right now, and his interpretation will be that capitalism in itself is what destroys all of these good intentions. So in this film, right, it's mired in capitalism. Flynn's main motivation is to earn his due share of profits. Mm -hmm. His great uh, finale is that he got the profits. When we watched the sequel, the tragedy is that he was super rich, but then he couldn't enjoy his wealth and disappeared into the computer again. And the benefit mm -hmm. was that when he, I mean, he doesn't really come back, but when his son comes back, he's super rich again. And, you know, he gets to live his life as a wealthy capitalist. And, and gets to have a relationship with Olivia Wilde. Yeah, well, yeah. with a computer program that is now metamorphized into a pinup doll. It's fucking weird, actually. I still like that movie a lot. I'm jealous of Olivia Wilde. It's kind of weird, right? If we take money out of it, is it better in Russia and China? <laughs> or they can close off access the moment they don't like what they're reading? Right. I, I don't know. I, I don't know, Kyle. Like the printing press, this is just something that exists. It will be in turns used for good and evil. You know, we're fucked. I guess put into like the 1982 context, we've seen now a few different movies that are really grappling with like mass communication, specifically television. And it seems like even though television had been around for 30-ish years. Could be a Reagan thing. Yeah. Really trying to, might be a Reagan thing, but I think people are really trying to grapple with like, oh, TV does have some positive elements to it, but you can really use this in very quite effectively. Reagan is a great example of communicating your message to the population. And if that is something that's going against, maybe not just your values, but if, if that's going to go against your best interests. If someone is better at communicating their position on TV, mm -hmm. they have a waiting and welcome audience to accept that. Yeah, maybe we get this culmination Cold War. You know, when we talk about Reagan, we've brought him up a lot about bringing back quote unquote conservative values, but he's also master of manipulating the media. And so even though he's mm -hmm. great at showing himself riding a horse or wearing cowboy outfits to get elected, he would have also been equally as great as utilizing media to create fear and panic and to paint his rivals as people that promote anti-American values, right? So yeah, we get this culmination, and then maybe not specifically 1982, but around this era, we begin to be afraid of everything. Be afraid of the machines. That's what I say. Be afraid of the machines. Well, that's just good advice. People are afraid of each other. Look at the way the world is right now. We're just afraid in general of everything. Are you though? I don't know. Just to dig into that very briefly, we're not talking about the movie anymore, but I mean, it's like, <laughs> I, I see that sentiment all the time. And I will admit that I'm slightly concerned and af I guess afraid might be the best word for like the future, quote unquote. I feel like this gets thrown around all the time. It's like, oh, I'm afraid of everything. And I don't know if, if I am. Well, look at, okay. So, I mean, we could pick any daily experience. So when we buy coffee, do we not have a fear now about what's ethical and what's not? About whether mm, uh, we pay the correct, you know, market value. You know, it's coffee, but we we have this tinge of hyper awareness that the impact. What what is the impact on the environment? Should I be spending so much money on this? And like, we get a coffee brewer at home. Should I buy the fifty dollar for three hundred gram uh, thing from a local supplier? Do I go to Costco and buy the piece of shit bean for mm -hmm. you know a quarter of that price? This glass cup, you know, could it break? We just have this like inherent. I think people are starting to get this inherent fear of the impact of everything we do. Now, never mind cancel and PC culture. Like TikTok, all these things were 
where people look so free, but then on the other side, everybody else is wondering, well, can I get paid for that? How come I'm not making money? I'm dancing. How、mm. come nobody cares about what I'm doing? There's, this, I think, there's a weight of、uh, social interactions, physical paranoia, illness, of course, with COVID, political paranoia, religious paranoia. We're scared of everybody, man, and we puff ourselves up as having. Independent individual values, but I think that's being controlled as well. Well, everyone talks in talking points, and I am just as guilty of this as well. Like it's it, talking about TikTok, it's fascinating to like see a video of someone like breaking down gay rights or trans rights or whatever it happens to be, and then another video will pop up of like like the counter view. And it's like I don't understand this thing, and then all the comments are like the talking points from the first video. So you can see how people are seeing things. It's like oh, now I'm going to internalize it. I'm just going to say exactly how this person. Phrase it. So even for things I believe in and I do agree with, it's like it's really hard not to be like, well, let me just、uh, read you back this TikTok or this YouTube video or this article that I read verbatim.、Yeah. Then you start to be like, well, what are my thoughts? What are how do I actually think about this? And we have Flynn to blame about this. <laughs> I have to say, it's him that caused all of this downfall. Yeah. Who who invented Turing? Whoever invented the computer. Yeah. yeah. Well, so this movie opened up on July ninth, nineteen eighty two, very close to my birthday, except、uh, a year before I was born. It's rated three point two on bragging about your age. No, that's fine. It has nothing to do with your birthday, actually, at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's rated three point two on Letterboxd, six point seven on IMDb. It has a fifty eight on Metacritic, and on Rotten Tomatoes, from sixty nine critics, it's at seventy two percent, and from fifty thousand plus users, it's at sixty nine percent. It's available on DVD and Blu ray. Currently available to purchase or rent on iTunes or YouTube, and you can stream it. On Disney Plus, its budget was seventeen million dollars. It would go on to make in its initial run fifty million dollars, which is about one hundred and fifty-three million dollars adjusted for inflation. So it did make money. It just didn't make as much money as Disney wanted it to make. Its plot description. You did such a good job there before, Dave. But this is the official plot description. A computer hacker is abducted into the digital world and forced to participate in gladiatorial games, where his only chance of escape is with the help of a heroic security program. Wow. Wow, that sounds pretty、mm. cool. It's too bad, yeah. The movie didn't really play that out. I do love basically all of the games that they showcase. Yeah, Ultimate Frisbee, High Ally. Yeah, but they're breaking like the specific glass shards that they're standing on, and the light cycle chase. I think even nowadays, like I think this is the the reach that this movie actually does have with VR still in its early days and really trying to break through into the mainstream. And the games are being made. It's like they're just trying to make. Stuff that Tron was doing forty years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's just neat.、Uh, this is the thing.、Mm-hmm. If it wasn't, let's say, for the religious tone of the dialogue later, there are so many little things in this film that are really neat and are cool. Well, it got me to thinking honestly. Like, this is the Star Trek conundrum. Would we have always have gotten cell phones? The way that they look now, or was it because Star Trek made them look、mm-hmm. that way that people wanted to make them look? Well, we that only have、way. submarines because of Jules, Jules Verne, right? <laughs> sure,、so. but I mean it, the same thing happens with like the VR and the look of it. And does it look that way because of Tron, or did it always look that way regardless of Tron had ever existed? And it's so hard you can't answer that because we don't live in that world. Even the idea of like VR does it come from films like Tron? Where we、yeah. conceptualize the internet as a real living environment 
The Matrix for sure is inspired by Tron. Yeah, 100%. Like it's a, like a bunch of anime influences too. But I think that's why they go with the, uh, I mean, it's the computer screen green, but there's a reason why they try to make it look like a computer. Well, Just yeah. like this was trying to make it look like a computer. Even the visual, I was surprised in Tron about the visualization of going into yeah, the, little wormhole yeah, the thing. wormhole. I mean, that's a trope now for any computer mm-hmm. film, but it's all there. So now it's time to play everyone's favorite game. Guess, Guess that, that, that tag. This is the part of the show, you know, we go to the movie theaters and maybe we're going to see the new Marvel cinematic classic, Black Panther 2. Like, is it already classic? Okay, yeah. <laughs> it has yeah. to be. Because they're they're putting out bangers every year. Because if you say any one negative thing about a Marvel movie on, on the internet, oh boy, <laughs> do people come at you. So everything is the best thing ever, Dave. Everything is the best thing ever. On the poster, of course, there's a little phrase that makes you, that makes you be enticed to go and see that movie. Tickles your fancy. I'm giving you three options here, Dave. One of these is the actual tagline that appeared on the poster for Tron in 1982. Two of them are completely made up by me. So, was the tagline, for Kevin Flynn, this video game could be his last. Is it, a world inside the computer where man has never been until now? Or, these programs can kill. <laughs> I'm going to go two. A world inside the computer where man has never been yeah. until now. It's long. Could be. Th- I hope it's not three because three is silly, but. No, you're right. It's number okay, two. Good. So. Yeah. yeah, very unwieldy. It's too it's long. It's too, too long of a yeah. tagline. This stars Jeff Bridges as Kevin Flynn, Bruce Boxleitner as Alan and Tron, and Cindy Morgan as Laura and Yori. Anything you want to say about Bruce Boxleitner or Cindy Morgan? No, I don't think either of them had particularly prominent careers. I forget. Bruce has done some other TV. things. He has some TV, TV stuff, yeah. Cindy, she obviously was that 80s bombshell. I think her mm-hmm. break was Caddyshack. Is that right? That sounds right. But uh, it's just too bad. I suspect watching her in this film that if she existed, like many 80s actresses, if they existed now, maybe she could have had a career. She's not a bad actress. She's not bad no. in this film. But she's given literally nothing that's to the do thing. in There's this no movie. character. It's She's just there to look pretty. I'm very curious because I'm about to reveal how this movie was largely written by a woman and then rewritten by a bunch over top of, men. of her. I yeah. wonder if she did have Absolutely. more for this character to Absolutely. do in her original draft. Yeah, I, I think I read even the religious dialogue was from the studio. Yeah, that was added on. It's like the, the last, no, uh, Secret of Nim, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Cinematography was by Bruce Logan. His top four on IMDb are this movie. He did do cinematography for a bunch of other films, but he's most known for his visual effects that he did for 2001 A Space Odyssey and visual effects supervisor for Star Wars. Experimental guy. We got a producer for Lost Fair from 2018, and I have no idea what that is. <laughs> like, but that, it, that's in his top four. Like so. a taxi cab fare, F-A-R-E? F-A-R-E, yeah. Wow. So it's about like loose pocket change. They're trying to give a guy a one, and it flies out of the cab, <laughs> and he goes on an adventure to find his lost Just fare. Just like the red balloon, yeah. This is written by Steven Lisberger and Bonnie McBird. Story by Steven Lisberger and directed by Steven Lisberger. So, Dave, Steven Lisberger was an animator running his own company when he came across something that completely changed his world. Oh, Pong. Pong. Yeah. <laughs> the video game Pong. And in a moment, he says the entire story for this movie flashed in front of his eyes and he knew that he wanted to take the early form of digital animation and translate that into a film world. So, yeah, the little bloop bloop. <laughs> it was like, oh my God. 
this amazing thing. <laughs> so initially, because he was an animator, he was going to do it completely animated. Uh, and the neon look was big in the 70s when this starts getting developed. After doing some short cartoons for proof of concept, Lisberger was frustrated by this like click-like nature he found with computer programmers and video game developers. Uh, and he wanted to open it up for everyone. So these cartoons catch the interest of Alan Kay. Does that name ring a bell for you, Dave? No. Well, if you don't know, as Dave doesn't know, he was currently at Xerox at the time, but is credited at creating the GUI, the graphical user interface, which is what everyone uses, right? Yeah, Before sure. you had to actually write code for everything. Now you take a mouse, you click on something. He made that. Why would anybody know his name? Um, if you're into <laughs> the history of computers, you would, because Steve Jobs takes a tour of Xerox, says, who did this? You, we need to make this. It brings them over to Apple, and they create the Macintosh. Who would know that? Modern computing yeah. <laughs> is, is, is wrapped up because of this. Anyways, this is all to say, Alan Kay sees this, and is like, you need to do CGI and not traditional animation, and kind of becomes an advisor on this film. Bonnie McBird writes the first draft with a large amount of input from Lisberger, and Alan Kay actually helps her go through and update bits of language to include proper computer terminology. And then they fall in love and get married. And they're still married today, which I think is, is great. So 40 years strong. Mm -hmm. However, as you and I have both alluded to, this seems weird because none of the language in this makes any sense. And it's not really great. There's a reason for that because none of her dialogue actually shows up in this film. It's all rewritten over top of her. And this religious element is actually added on to, I don't know if it's producers or Lisberger himself who make them do the changes regardless it's done so none of her dialogue shows up the plot is kind of remodified this actually does start a huge fight between who should be getting credit for the script regardless they both eventually get credit lisberger and his team have done extensive storyboards and now they start approaching studios to see who would like to fund them warner brothers says no mgm turns them down flat Columbia Pictures won't return their phone calls. I assume. I don't know. Those are three people that say no, at least. So then they turn to Disney, who we've kind of talked about this in past episodes. They're in a very weird period in 1982. The fact that we went through, what, three or four animated movies this year and not one of them is actually a Disney film says, I think, a lot about the state of animation in North America at the time. Walt Disney dies in the late 60s. All the stuff that he had greenlit before he died. And again, remember on his deathbed, he's like, Kurt Russell. <laughs> and then he dies. It's crazy. It's crazy <laughs> to think about. Uh, so he dies. All the stuff that he had greenlit has basically run the course by the early 70s. The rest of the 70s, it's just people asking the question, well, what would Walt Disney do? What would Walt, what would he want to do? And they just kind of try and figure out what they think Walt Disney would do with nobody really wanting to make any hard decisions. By the late 70s, and then into the early 80s, like Disney is in pretty bad shape as far as their finances go. However, they do start to greenlight things that are off the beaten path. This is where we get stuff like the Black Cauldron. Um, Flight of the Navigator. Just before this, like a couple years before this movie comes out, they had done the Black Hole. Right. Have you ever seen the Black Hole? Uh, it's quite boring, but it's weird. It's such yeah, a weird movie. I want to say yes, but I guess not. I know the picture, maybe because it's on Disney Plus trying to tell me mm -hmm. to watch it all the time. Matthew Broderick? No. Who's 
No, it's uh, uh, Anthony Perkins is the star of that one. I thought there was like a kid. Anyway, in it's, it. it's adult sci-fi, but like they try and make it so kids will yeah, want to watch it too. Definitely. But literally nothing happens in that movie for 90 minutes. Like it's, it's pretty lugubrious. So Disney seems like maybe a right choice for them to finance this movie. But even Disney was a little nervous of giving a sizable budget to a first time director. Eventually they do agree after they see some of the test footage and they think, okay, let's, let's roll the dice on this. They then get three main people to kind of design the world. The biggest name among them is this guy named Jean Giraud. Does that name ring a bell for you? He sometimes goes by Mobius. He, oh, he was a comic, book, comic book writer, writer. for a long time. Yeah, so you, yeah. you might have seen Mobius show up. He's responsible for the costumes and the set design. He would also work uh, on Alien, The Fifth Element, and The Abyss. So he would go on to do that. And he would mm-hmm. also extensively work with Hodorowski on their failed Dune project. Mm. Have you seen Hodorowski's Dune, the documentary? No. It's supposed to be really good. Yeah. You would love it. You need to go and see that. It's the not big that Dune available. Fan. All right. But it's uh, it's really crazy to see the history of that movie and how it influenced a lot of science fiction going forward, even though it was never actually made. Sid Mead was the second guy who was hired. He did the vehicle design. He would work on Alien as well, but would also go on to work on Blade Runner. And then you have Peter Lloyd, who did the environments, and he would go on to work as a designer for an American werewolf in Paris but would also do visual effects for Star Trek Insurrection, The Core, and Sin City. These aren't slouches that they're getting to come over and work on this movie. Or soon to be. Like we kind of already mentioned here, there's only about 20 minutes of true CGI animation in this film. There's the light cycles, the other machinery, but a lot, real people, practical effects, costumes composited together, and there's even the rotoscoped animation that they do for some some of the effects. There are four different studios involved in all of this stuff and none of them talked to each other which is why sometimes they don't always fit together like aesthetically because you can see there's some stuff that is straight up animated it looks hand-drawn animated for some scenes and yeah. then some of it is cgi and what was that thing was it a micro yeah the little spider, spider things that thing? drop up it's like oh that is that is that animated was like fantasia era hand-drawn <laughs> mm-hmm. animation yeah and then it disappears same with that Wait. weird bit 3d molecule that appears why is that in the movie the one that says yes and no fucking weird yeah well you need to have a little side character wasn't it, it was, to your aerial like two seconds <laughs> all right i mean you're, you're pointing out right dave it's like it does feel like there's a few different cooks in the kitchen that aren't all just trying to show off together just flexing you will also have noticed in this original tron there's occasionally that like pulsating light and like a little beam of light goes now i could not see any write-up on this but I do remember watching a makeup documentary. It was probably on the DVD that I rented back in my like early 20s that I watched. And the only reason that that happens is because there was a processing error at the lab when they took the film in. Where for certain reels or something, they made it too bright. Anyways, they couldn't go and reshoot uh, it. It was the wrong frame rate. When they were, I think, or something. I think it's like, like we talked about earlier, to do this process, they had to expose, re-expose, do all this stuff. It was like a 16-part process. So when they finally started doing edit together, it didn't match up properly. That's what it was. You're right. Yeah, yeah, Because it wasn't matching up. They were just, yeah, this made it be part of the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Weirdly enough, I think it works really well for them being in the machinery type well, of thing. Well, they said, th- I think I read on Wikipedia, what makes it work is they added in a sound effect but I'm mm. not sure if that was in the theatrical release. 
But every time it happens, there's a subtle little buzzing noise. Yeah, so yeah. you actually think it's intentional instead of a mistake. So it's released, it's well reviewed. Disney specifically decides to change the release date because it was supposed to come out on Christmas Day. They change it to the summer to compete against The Secret of Nim and Don Bluth because they's like, we don't want this other animation company in North America to become popular. Yeah. So they go up against him. Unfortunately, as we keep coming back to, this was a stacked summer. Yeah. So it kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. Even though it did make money, it did make money. It was still a disappointment financially from where they wanted it to go. I think, we, yeah, we should always have to stress, like, there's no video market yet. You know, you're not going to rely on- how- Well, it's just starting. What yeah, I mean is like, starting. yeah, when you schedule something like this- <laughs> You're trying mm-hmm. to make your money off the box office. So some idiots maybe saw the production schedule and didn't think E.T. was going to be that big. Like you got to- Right. I know you can't tell until after it happens, but the timing. Something else that was actually designed specifically for this movie was something called Perlin noise. Do you know what this is? No. So it so it's noise as in film noise, film grain noise. You're probably going to be able to explain this better, but if you take a photograph, you can sometimes get digital noise, but I don't know if you can explain it, but like what is the noise itself? Like what is it? So for example, on film, you get a grain depending on how much ISO and that's just because you need mm-hmm. different size cells to absorb mm-hmm. a different amount of light to create an exposure. So the digital photography is the same thing. What happens, I think, at a top end ISO is you have to utilize so much of the individual photoreceptive cells that they start appearing and corrupting the image that comes out mm-hmm. at the end on your computer. They're getting a lot better now. Uh, some of the full frame sensors, the actual pixels that absorb light are so big that you can't tell. But Yeah, because yeah. digital film is going to be a little bit different when this is actually shot on film it is actually shot in film the people are shot in film there's going to be a natural grain in that image when you process it but the images that are made on a computer don't have that grain they're perfect images so what he designed that this guy named ken perlin is to fake it is to basically fake the grain on the digital image so that it actually matches up with the grain of the first instagram filter yeah basically is what it is because of this and this development of this the, he's awarded a special academy award mm. for developing that technique that is still kind of used today even though most digital doesn't have noise there's the artifact oh, or the um digital noise that people add they're in basically afterwards. they're just they're add-ons you can do it on lightroom you can do it mm. on photoshop you can do it on after effects and premiere because uh i for one don't like the clean digital image anyways, high frame rates and stuff. You know, we don't do it for our YouTube videos, but I'm just saying when you watch a movie, it's too smooth sometimes, you know? And just like- Sometimes it looks too good, yeah. yeah. You too will never be accused of looking too good. In a roundabout way, Tron would also inspire Pixar because John Lasseter, one of the people who helped develop Pixar, has stated out quite plainly, that without Tron, he would never have pursued computer animation. It was this movie that he sounded like, oh, I think we could, this can evolve into something even greater than this. It would also worm its way into popular culture. It was considered a cult film for many years. The sequel came out in 2010. Much like this film, that, mo- that movie also made money, but not as much as Disney wanted it to make. Although I will still contend, the Daft Punk score is awesome. I listen to it all the time. A TV series, a cartoon series, would last only one season. That came out in 2012. And then apparently there is a Tron 3 in the works starring Jared Leto and directed by Garth Davis, but there hasn't been really any news on that for a few years. So who knows if that's ever going to see the light of day. I clicked that link because I didn't know about it. And that thing's been in like pre-production since 2016. (laughs) That's what I mean. It's like dead at this point, like this could be something that just gets slowly shelved and never done until Garrett Headland is 50 years old. And then people are like, I need my Tron legacy legacy. 
He's it's going to be the best movie ever. And then it will also not make as much money as Disney wants it to make. It'll be another 30 well, years before. I mean, these studios now want to make a billion dollar movie every movie. Yeah. So that's the problem is that they need it to make a billion dollars. And they'd be like, it's okay if it only makes 200. Yeah. It's fine. Again, I don't know how they do the accounting for production costs, but is there a movie that's made for under a hundred million dollars anymore? Well, if you're talking about blockbusters, no, but yes, there's, there are. Like what, what was Waterworld? 200 million? Is that what made everybody Something. upset? Yeah, it's, it was Avatar was also oh. like 200 million? Yeah. As far as I know, each of the Avatar sequels is 250 is what their, the budget well, is. James Cameron has an open, open checkbook. But yeah. Well, he's making actual avatars. <laughs> so like that's, the money is going somewhere. Yeah. Without Tron, there's no Avatar. Probably. That's what we're trying to say. I, it's you can't always attribute everything to one movie, but it has to have inspired all of those science, you know, eighties, nineties, two thousand science fiction uh, creators visually. A lot of those little pieces that we see are in this and in Blade Runner, which we haven't watched yet. Alien, you know, there's these mm -hmm. big cultural touchstones for science fiction where we still see the same effects today. So. So a, f a few last things here that I've written down in my notes. There's uh, something that uh, the I guess the evil guy, the evil corporate executive, does at the very beginning. You know, he comes and slumps down at his desk and is like, "If you see one electronic expo, you've seen them right. all." And it is so fascinating to me. Again, this is such a different time in 1982 because E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, is still kind of like one of the biggest things in video games, where like all the new releases are talked about, what's going on in the next few years. And this was again at a time where computers were really like hobbyists nerds were going after them and nowadays it's things are so like fan led that it's just a completely different it's just experience a cosplay a convention yeah like they they would have gone there and literally been seeing new technology and now you go to one of those things and it's like oprah coming and i'm like you get the car like they just have to like ramp up what's going on there is a phrase that he says which is the computers and programs will start thinking and then people will stop and i think that might have uh, foretold the future Bazinga. <laughs> you know, I had this thought the other day, you know, what if we were the computers the dinosaurs made? Oh my God. Dave. Right? I thought you didn't smoke weed anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these, uh, the secession of technology, if uh, we get artificial intelligence, which is going to happen in the next hundred years where it's mm -hmm. almost self-sentient, for that being in its own hundredth generation are they even going to remember what it was like to be an automaton mm -hmm. part of somebody else's creation sure. so maybe dinosaurs made us Kyle. i mean well i'm not going to enter into that conversation but i mean um the thing that i think that most science fiction is battling with right now with algorithms and ai and soon i'm sure robots will become much more of a prominent thing when is that switch when is it that we say this thing actually has sentience mm -hmm. this thing actually does have feelings in its own thoughts and i don't know i don't have the answer to that but I, that is going to be something that i might even have it in my lifetime where it's like we have to fully contend with this yeah. that we've created this thing that is now its own being that we can't have full autonomy over you it. know it's interesting i mean kind of like just trying to stay within this movie but anthropomorphism is interesting like we think of ai as this fearsome thing because we don't want it to be a person if they have the, its own measure of consciousness for its own purpose how would we ever even comprehend that we believe we're in control because we set the parameters of how a, a set program is supposed to work but would we even recognize sentience in a computer program and 
if that's something we would want to talk about, at what point does that become a threat? I don't know. It's almost already a threat. Like the way algorithms work, it's affecting our daily experience of life. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's affecting our brain chemistry for sure. So, I mean, it's not something that's without threat, but I went on this quest and I don't know how to Google the answer to this, but in this movie, he says, get this clown trained. Mm. I, I'm not saying that this movie is the first one to say this. And I'm for sure it's not. Where does this phrase come from? But where does the f- phrase this clown come from? Because clowns traditionally were either literally like the painted up clowns or you were the clown, like the, the comedy relief in a Shakespeare play. Isn't that where, isn't that what they're talking about? So when did it flip around to be like this clown as a pejorative? Isn't, but isn't it? Even in a Shakespeare play? Because this is... Isn't it playing the fool? I'm open to that interpretation, but I feel like this is a different way of saying it. Because if I say to you, oh, you're such a clown, that is different than me saying you're a clown. Well... It's the way you say it and the way you phrase it. It's actually a different connotation. Sure. But I, I guess my point is... When you're is, trying to be funny and when you're not. Yeah, I guess my point is uh, over... What's Shakespeare? 16 something. So, if over 400 so, yeah. years... Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Let's say 400 years... It starts off as being kind of like an entertainment buffoon because they're not an entertainer. They're not actors. They were comedic mm-hmm. relief. It feels natural at some point, particularly maybe through the ration, rationalist age, that being funny is looked down upon, right? Mm-hmm. We, post-enlightenment, we're getting into this idea that logic and the human brain and our capacity for math is what makes us strong so having somebody just like <laughs> you know you're gonna be like well you're a lower being right so then sure, when sure, you meet sure. your friend and they say something silly you're like well you're a fucking clown right maybe right. it may be why it's hard to track down who knows but. i believe there's a podcast or an article i read but just on how we use the word cool because mm. Like if I say this thing is cool, it's actually this interesting word in that it entered our lexicon and hasn't left. Where other ones, like if I say tubular or radical, it's like, ooh, that's an 80s term. Like that is stuck in the 80s. No one says that anymore. Cool started in the 60s or the late 50s in largely um, African-American territories. And then white people co-opted it and it just spread through the culture. Anyways, it's fascinating history. Mm. And I want to know if this is the same thing. It's like who started seeing it in this way? Yeah. But that's a... Complete digression. Last thing I'm going to say, everyone should go check out the videos for the Tron roller coaster ride from Tokyo Disney because it looks awesome. Looks <laughs> I cool. really want to go looks, on it. Looks tubular. Looks pretty cool. Uh, is it new or is it like something that's been around for? I think it is. I think it was only actually made here in like the last couple Wait, of years. So is it like more about Tron Legacy then? Like something that level? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's definitely what the designs are and it uses like combination like so I w- AR, I roller coaster. It, I don't think. No, 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 no. <laughs> But it is actually, you do go outside and like like flip around completely 180 degrees and like upside cool. down for a bit. And so. Uh, my last question, Kyle, is what were they mm-hmm. drinking? I said the same thing because they eventually say it's power or like, 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 I guess it's supposed to be electricity is what yeah. it's supposed to show up. I'm like, do they have a concept of liquid in this world? Like it was actually really weird after that a while. That was that fantasy element that didn't make sense. You know, mm-hmm. it's like coming upon a pool of magical fluid. Mm-hmm. And then they're just like addicted, like they're getting this junky vibe from it. And you're like, I don't know what this is. They don't, they don't pursue that a lot in the sequel. So they don't pursue it in this film. It just happens in this one Oasis scene. And then they just, uh, they're like, I'm good. Mm -hmm. The one guy's using his Frisbee to like sop it up. I'm like, that's Mm -hmm. your data, dude. Right. That's your, that's, 
your personality and you're using it as you're a, reading yourself as using it as a canteen so weird soiling green is programs <laughs> soiling green is programs we're done here all right so the machine said that we do have to wrap things up so we should move into critics choice this is where we go and see what critics at the time thought about the movie roger ebert loved this movie he gave it four out of four oh, stars wow. he loved it and he goes on about why he likes it more in his actual review but I thought that how he ended his review is so fascinating to think about that he wrote this in 1982. There is one additional observation I have to make about Tron, and I don't really want it to sound like a criticism. This is almost a wholly technological movie. Although it's populated by actors who are engaging and sinister, sorry, or sinister, it is not really a movie about human nature. Like Star Wars or The Empire Strikes Back, but much more so, this movie is a machine to dazzle and delight us. It is not a human interest adventure in any generally accepted way. That's alright, of course. It's brilliant at what it does, and in a technical way, maybe it's breaking ground for a generation of movies in which computer-generated universes will be the background for mind-generated stories about emotional-generated personalities. All things are possible. It's a lot of generated verbiage. Yeah. Well, he kind of hits it on the money. I mean, it took like 20 years or so from this, but like it eventually came to be true where it's like mostly all the films we watch nowadays, even the ones you don't think are, have some sort of CG manipulation that's going on. Yes. For better or for worse. Mm. For better or for worse. I think computers should start directing films. Shock upon shocks, Pauline Kale did not review this mm. movie. So I went to Letterboxd once again. I found a user named Ginger Ben. Oh, nice. This should be something that's right up my alley, and I wanted to like it and love Jeff Bridges, but it took me like five tries to get through. Not sure if I've been on the 80s body horror and boob movies kick for too long, but this G-rated sci-fi just felt deathly slow. The effects are really unique and cool for a bit, but after a while, it made every scene look the same, and I think that's what ultimately dragged me down. Yeah. Not enough CGI boobs in this movie, Dave. <laughs> Too many polygons. There's, it can't do I think, it. Effectively. Uh, yeah, Tomb Raidered it. I think he's right. Not not necessarily <laughs> that we needed boobs and sweaty monsters, but it is pretty mm -hmm. monotone. Well, Dave, we do need to get into the rating of this movie here fairly soon. But before we do, uh, that is what you and I thought. What do you think that are listening out there? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We release videos on YouTube as well, so go and watch those. <laughs> if you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our letterbox page. That's letterbox.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. And something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So let's get to the rating of this movie. Dave, what are you going to give Tron out of five? Well, as far as the two questions you never remember asking, I think it is cultural. I think it's culturally relevant. It is culturally relevant, yes. But I don't think it holds up very well. And so my score, I think I'm going to go with a 2.5. I feel like... Wow. Yeah, I feel like I wanted to like it more. There's a lot in it that will influence movies that I love. But mm -hmm. I don't know. Any movie that calls it, you know, has a character talking about inquisitions and dealing with faith structures while overlaying shitty CG. I don't know. It just didn't sit well with me. And then the rampant capitalism is starting to become a bug in my ear, Kyle. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Dave wants communist rule is what he wants. Helen's watching this new Neil Patrick Harris show about, I think he's like a mid 50s gay man who just broke up uh, and has to like go out and find a new partner or something. And as soon as the mm -hmm. show opened, I left the room because he's like, everyone's rich 
white, successful, and trying to make more money while finding love. And I was like, I'm not interested, mm -hmm. Kyle, in this story because uh, I don't identify with uh, a hacker who wishes he had more money because he deserves more credit. Yeah, all right. Get off your high horse. <laughs> I'm giving it a three uh, and a half, actually. Oh, three and I'm a half. It 3.5. I actually really like this movie. I, maybe I didn't make this clear. I actually do like the journey for the most part. I do think that it doesn't fully work. I think it gets a little bit too lost in itself by the end point. But I'm kind of won over by the natural charisma of Mr. Jeff Bridges throughout most of this. And while I'm not emotionally connected to this film, I, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm still wowed, even though not all the effects are like top notch anymore. I just think it's that look that's so unique that I'm can't look away. I just want to I text you about this. Fall into the image. We are we are influenced by these remasters. You know, we're talking about the yeah. visual beauty of this, but this thing is. I don't know what Disney did to uh, clean this thing up, but Christ, it mm -hmm. looks like they shot it today. Also, I was going to quip. <laughs> you love Jeff Bridges. I bet if you could, you would want that sweaty T-shirt he pulls off himself <laughs> in his apartment uh, to Gross. hang up in your room. No comment. So the <laughs> that's going to average, of course, to a three. It's going to actually tie with a bunch of stuff. Okay. But um, so let's keep let's go through this. Dave, do you think this is better or worse than the Dark Crystal? I think it's better than Dark Crystal. Better or worse than Halloween three? It's better than Halloween three. How about Conan? It's pretty comparable to Conan. I actually like mm -hmm. Conan from a cinematography standpoint better. But okay, what's next? The next one is Smithereens. Oh wow, what a big tone change, eh? I know. I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm just trying to think too. I mean, I'm thinking about like rewatchability here again. Honestly, I think I would probably do the same thing. I would probably put this under Conan yeah. as far as rewatchability goes. Yeah. So let's do that. The new 19th position. So it'll be below Conan the Barbarian and above Halloween 3. If they got the same team to build a 4K transfer of Conan, yeah. I think it would just blow our eyeballs out because that thing was set up. See him change into a serpent and our eyes would bleed. Well, we should probably see what we're watching here next. We're going to push this button. Oh, Dave, look at this. You get to fanboy out next week. We're going to watch Blade Runner. Five stars. Now, we should probably make it this clear. Are we doing theatrical version yes, of, of course. Blade Runner? I'll, I'll, okay. I'm going to have to buy it and watch both. As you know, because I shuttled my mm -hmm. Blu-rays, I don't know if you kept it, but I had the collector's Blu-ray, which had all four versions. Uh, but interestingly, even as a fanboy, I only watched the theatrical and the the last cut, the final cut. The director's cut? The final cut is not the director's cut. The director's cut is the one that doesn't have the narration yeah, on it. He, they take the narration out. At any rate, uh, yeah, we'll watch the theatrical, which is probably the weakest of the four, <laughs> but... Uh, Actually, most people say that the non-voiceover one is better. Yeah. Anyways, we'll, we'll talk about that all next week and uh, oof, we, I feel like the balls are moving in on us here again, Dave. I don't know. And I'm feeling a little bit uh, antsy living here. Oh, uh, antsy living here. Right. Doesn't that mean we should just get out? There's a door. There's a doorway. We could just open it. Into a big, bright, beautiful tomorrow. <laughs> We should bring back hot or not.